morning. What a privilege to work with a staff that really takes church growth serious. I mean, these Rockwells. I figure that's like a church plant. Well, we're talking about the storms of life. And uh, I don't know if you're in one of those right now. They're hard. I want to tell you about a storm that happened. Uh, it's, it's a story you've heard. Many of us heard it and remember it so well. It happened back in November, no, November 8th, 1994. Scott and Janet Willis were heading down uh, I-94 outside of Milwaukee when a, a piece of metal fell off the semi-trailer in front of them. The car in front of him swerved before he knew it was happening. He ran over this piece of metal that hit his, his gas tank and it literally exploded the whole van. His six children were back in the van. Five of them died instantly. And the hardest part of the whole thing, Scott and Jenny said, was going to the hospital to visit Benny. Benny was, all, he was the oldest. He was 13. Ninety percent of his body had been burned. He was hanging on by a thread, and the doctors were clear. He wasn't going to make it. And so it was that reality that made it so hard to see him there in intensive care. And so on, on the funeral, um, five coffins lined the front of the church, the youngest two buried together. Ben was 13, Joe 11, Sam 9, Hank 7, Elizabeth 3, and Peter just six weeks old. And, then there, and there they were on the very platform where their father, Scott Willis, regularly preached. He was a pastor. And as a pastor, not Scott, but another pastor got up and conducted the memorial service. He said this past week, here's what he heard Scott say as he quoted Job, what we looked at last week. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so from the eye of their storm, Scott and Janice Willis, like modern-day Job's, worship God. And I don't think there's a one of us that can even begin to imagine the pain and the agony and the heartache that undoubtedly they continue to go through some almost 13 years later. Nicholas Waltersdorf has written a book called Lament for a Son. And here's what he says about the loss of a child. It's the neverness that is so painful, never again to be here with us, never to sit with us at table. Never to travel with us, to laugh with us, never to cry with us. Never embrace us as he leaves for school. Never to see his brothers and sister Mary. All the rest of our lives, we must live without him. And only our death can stop the pain of his death. And so, Scott and Janet Willis worship God through their suffering. And that's the test. In the midst of these crucibles of life, 
Will we hang on to our faith and worship God when everything seems to be falling apart and the things closest to us and dearest to us are torn from our hands? Satan was convinced that in suffering, Job would curse God and die. But innocent, righteous Job did not. Even though his wife at his side said, Job, curse God and die, he did not. Last week as we began our series, we considered the subject of God's control over the storms, God of the storm. And here's what we learned. A very important lesson, that it is possible for the innocent follower of Jesus Christ to go through suffering. Job suffered as an innocent, righteous man, not because he was a wicked, sinful man. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. But he was not suffering for something he had done wrong. We learned that God is completely in control of our storms, the storms that seem completely out of control. They're firmly in his grip. And when we're troubled at the proximity of our God's involvement in the hard things in our life, we remember the cross, that the worst thing that ever happened in humanity, the crucifixion of the Son of God on a Roman cross, was actually, by God's grace, the greatest thing that's ever happened. God can do that. We were given a clear picture of what it looks like to worship God. When our world has fallen apart, it's a real picture. It's not a pretty picture. Job with his clothes rent, his head shaved, falling on his face, weeping with his broken heart before God. But it's a beautiful picture. It's not airbrushed. It's real. We come as we are. In the midst of our storms, bringing God our broken hearts, the agony, the questions. We bring it all to God. And like Job, we submit to his will, believing he's good, that all that we have is from him. And just as he has the right to give it, he has the right to take it. And we believe that he works all things together for good. Even when we can't chase it out in our mind, how in the world could this be good? We believe it. And we praise his name. That's what it looks like to worship God. We praise his character that never changes, though our world is completely changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, so that's where we were last week. He's the God over the storm. And we know this, that when you're in the storm, trusting God, just what Al was talking about before, trusting God is so hard. It's hard because God can seem so far away. It's hard because his purposes can seem so completely unclear. What in the world is going on here and why would this be happening? It's hard because his love can seem so weak, if not completely absent when it comes to us. And those strong feelings, and they they tear away, they erode our faith. And what happens is, Some dark thoughts can now enter into our minds and our hearts, gripping us with fear, with dark despair. Job had that. When he talked about the day of his birth, he cursed it. He wished he'd never been born. He said this in chapter 3, May the day of my birth perish. Or why was I not hidden in the ground as a stillborn child? Why did my parents just 
abandon me. It would have been better. It would have been better if I just died out in the field somewhere than have to grow up and to go through what I'm going through right now. In the storm, it's really easy to doubt that God's even there. Job, when he talked about God's presence, said this in Job chapter 23. If I go to the east, he's not there. I can't find God there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I I catch no glimpse. Everywhere he looks, can't find God. He seems so far away. And that's where you are this morning. God is just nowhere near me right now. Job said this, chapter 19, he uproots my hope like a tree. What, what an image, an uprooted tree. He says, God, you took the things that were most precious to me, my children, my grandchildren, their spouses, and you ripped them out of my hands. And as you ripped those out, I can to tell you, you, you ripped out of my heart any hope. I'm an uprooted tree. And if we're honest, that's where some of us are today. God is so far away, we have no hope. Absolutely nothing. Job said this toward the end of the book, I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Worse than that, you turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. You're just playing with me, God. I don't think you love me. I don't think you're in control. I'm not so sure you're good. And these feelings if we let them win the day in our own minds and hearts, will ruin us. And what we need to do is tie down those real feelings. We're not going to deny them. They're real. They're the things that are closest to us. They're the things that we're most certain of, how I'm feeling right now. And we need to tie those down to the truth of God's Word and God's character And that's the beauty of Psalm 46. It helps us do that. Those things that are just flapping around, those things that are so right in front of us need to be anchored to truth. And Psalm 46 helps us do exactly that. And so open your Bibles to this great song written by one of the musicians, one of the sons of Korah. You can find that on page 403 if you're using the Bible there in the rack in front of you. And as you look at this psalm, I want you to notice this word. It's not a word we use. It's the word selah. You see at the end of verse 3, end of verse 7, end of verse 11? That's a musical notation that says to the musicians, stop, take a break. Let's let this verse of the song sink in. And so you notice that this song has three verses. The first one's in verse 1 through 3. The second one, 4 through 7. The third one in verses 8 through 11. 
And these three verses have one common theme. You notice how the psalm opens, and you'll notice how it closes. It opens and closes with God being a refuge, a fortress, someone who's right there with us. And that's the beautiful truth about Psalm 46. He's right there with us in the storms of life to help us. He's not just over it. And looking from a distance, say, man, it's too bad what you're going through. But you've got to trust me. I'm in control of it. He's right there in it with us. And you see that this psalm, from beginning to end, is all about God. Each one of these three verses has a picture. Let's see if you can find the picture here in verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, because of that, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, Selah. So do you see the picture? It's the picture of a tower. It's the picture of a tower. This high place. Let's see if we can get that slide up of the tower. It's a beautiful image of God, this tower. And the teaching here in this first stanza is this. When God is your refuge and strength, you need not fear. You need not be controlled and gripped and paralyzed by fear. Because God is the tower. He's that fortress. It's the word refuge, that hiding place, that safe place, that high place. Now, if you're in the storm, that's what what you need. You need protection. I remember the time that I took the girls on a big climb. We were, we were vacationing in Colorado in the Sangrita Crystal Mountain Range, kind of southern range. And we decided to climb Horn Peak. Horn Peak is, is some, somewhere around 13.5 in terms of elevation. And the girls, Laura and Bridget there, were 8 and 10. <coughs> it was a big climb. And we got up there, leaving early in the morning, got up there around noon. And when we got up there, yeah, we did the photo op. We were all celebrating. It was a great feat for the girls But wow, there was some bad weather moving in. And I knew it was bad when I looked at one of the girl's hair and noticed that her hair is just standing on end. It was like this electrical charge in the air. And I'm thinking, we got to get off this mountain. We have got to get to safety, to shelter. And so I grabbed those little girl's hands. And they were tired this time. Another guy helped grab one of the girl's hands. And we literally ran off the mountain. We were way above tree line. We are way away from cover. And when you're in the storm and it's raging around you, (coughs) you are looking for cover. And this psalm just says this. The safe place is a person. It's God. He says, I'm your refuge. You run to me. The safe place is a relationship. God is our refuge. God of Jacob is our fortress. He's the one who will bring us protection. Not only that, he's our strength. Boy, if there's anything a storm does is it wears us out 
and makes us aware of our limitations. And you think of the times where you've been really racked in a storm. Your bloodshot eyes sting because they no longer have anything left in the tear ducts. You find yourself curled up in a fetal position, groaning, hoping with all that you have that you're going to wake up and find out, phew, that's just a bad dream. That was a nightmare. Only to find out it's not a dream. Right now, it's your life. And, And you're spent. You've got nothing left. The storms do that. They make us weak. They wear us out, and they reveal that we just don't have it to get through it. And God comes to us and says, I know. I'm your strength. Just like we sang a couple times this morning. When I'm weak, then I'm strong when I turn to the one who is our strength. And then the best news in this first verse is not only that he's our refuge, not only that he's our strength, but that he's our ever-present help in trouble. I mean, so what good news would there be if God says, well, I'm your refuge and and I'm your strength and come up here to heaven to get it. I'm going, I I don't know how to get there. I'm down here and, and I need it now. And he says that, I'm here. I'm right by your side. I'm not distracted. There's not too much going on in my life where I'm saying, hey, later, I got an emergency over here. I got to. He can handle it all. He's an ever-present help to you in your storm. And the beauty of this psalm is this. This is who God is, not who he can be. It's not saying... This is what you need to do, and then he can become this for you. This is who he is. Verse 1 is not giving us a set of commands that say, so run into that shelter. Take hold of that strength and look for his presence. It doesn't say that at all. It's saying because he is these things, you don't have to be controlled by your fears. And so those feelings come flying at us and we just start to tie them down and verse 1 hits them straight up and it says this, He is here with strength to protect you in your storm. You think He's absent? You think He doesn't know? He doesn't care? He doesn't love? He's not strong enough? It takes it right on. And it says, so you don't have to be gripped by fear. You don't have to be ruled by your fears. And man, fears are everywhere. Fears are everywhere. You chase down the fear knots in Scripture and you find out there's a raging storm. When Lori was diagnosed with her breast cancer on December 11th, two weeks before Christmas, fear was everywhere. I told you what it was like when I got that phone call last week and Dr. Hawkins called. I I was paralyzed in front of my computer for an hour. My heart was racing and it was, it was dark. It was fearful. And Laurie would wake up in the middle of the night and fear would be hovering to choke her. But you know what it was? It was God's word. God's word that was printed on one of those Christmas cards taken from Luke chapter 2, verse 10. We know the words, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior 
who is Christ the Lord. And so when Lori woke up with those fears, so too she woke up clinging to the word of God. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm an ever-present help in this day of trouble. You know, those fears, it's really important to think clearly about them. That's not the stuff that God brings to us. You find yourself fearful. There's a lot of things you could be afraid of right now. Are we going to make it financially? Or is this going to be the year we declare bankruptcy? Uh, Your parents may have been divorced, and right now your marriage is such where you're going, man, is this this my fate? Is this what's going to happen in my family? You've heard something, some doctor's given you some diagnosis and your fears are running ahead and it's painting a grim picture. Your child has just run far away from God and your fear is they're going to do irreparable damage. Uh, Where do those fears come from? They do not come from God. God is not the author of fear. When Paul writes about this very thing, he says this to his young disciple, Timothy. Timothy 2, 2 Timothy, I mean, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 7. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but here's the spirit he's given us, of power, of love, and self-control. And I'll tell you what Satan's an expert in. He is an expert in painting a dark picture of your future that always stops short of God's picture of your future. He always stops short. And so for me, you can imagine where my picture, that dark picture stopped. It stopped with Lori's death and five kids from 16 down to four trying to figure out how in the world this is ever going to work. I need my wife. They need their mother. That's where Satan's picture stopped for me. It was a dark picture that it stopped. But you know what? God says, my picture of your future does not stop with these bodies in this world. It goes way beyond that into eternity. Satan will never take your future into eternity. He won't do that. And one of the disciplines in in the storm is claiming God's picture of eternity and pushing it all the way out so we know what the worst is all the way out. And all of a sudden, there is hope in the grimmest of pictures. When the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, fear is there. And when we remember who God is, verse (laughs) 1... That reality chases those fears away. When God is your refuge and strength, you will not fear. You need not fear. You need not be controlled by that. Well, now there's a second picture as we get to verses 4 through 7. Let's see if you can picture it here as we read the psalm, this section of the psalm, the verse here. There is a river, verse 4, whose stream makes glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. (coughs) God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. 
The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So do you see the picture? It's a picture of a river. It's this beautiful river. And the psalm tells us it's a river, not like this one out in the country. It's actually a river running through what? A city. What city? The city of God. What does that say? It's Jerusalem. And that city is symbolic of it's right there in the midst of God's people. Jerusalem is a symbol for not only God's presence, but his people. The picture is of a river running through Jerusalem. And the picture doesn't even stop there because the image there is that Jerusalem is not going to fall because God's within her, verse 5. And why would they perhaps fall? Because they're surrounded, they're besieged by an enemy. So that's the picture. Jerusalem surrounded by an enemy, like in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, when Sennacherib, the Assyrian, has his couple hundred thousand army cutting off and surrounding Jerusalem. And there's a river of God's provision that makes the people glad. Because if you don't have water when you're surrounded, it's over. It's going to be a short time before it is over. And so, this is a beautiful picture that points to God's provision. And the teaching truth here is, when God is your refuge and strength, you will not be defeated. You will not be defeated by that enemy that surrounds you, that you're convinced, this thing is just going to totally knock me off my feet and kill me. It's going to defeat me. No, he says it's not going to do that. Well, let me tell you, that's how Job felt. He said this, Your troops, God, have come on together. They've cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. But God says, hey, I've got a river, a river of life, a, a river of provision. It's going to sustain you in this storm. And, and look at verse 5. I'm in this place. God is within her. What a beautiful thing. We go from the ever-present help in verse 1 to this image now of the besieged city, and God says, hey, I'm not just watching over you. I'm right there within my people. I'm within the storm. I'm within Jerusalem that's surrounded by an enemy, and I will not let you fall. That's not, I'm not going to let you slip. That's not going to, I'm not going to let you lose your feet. It means I am not going to let you lose, be defeated, be wiped out by this enemy, by this storm. I'm not going to let it happen because I'm in it with you. And I will not let the storm knock you off your feet. And when you look at it, everything in the psalm is moving. The mountains are moving. The waters are moving. The nations are being toppled in kingdoms. But because God is your refuge and strength, the psalmist says, you do not need to be moving. You can stand Firm because of God. And the one who makes war cease, the one who will one day stop them for all time, can keep you on your feet fighting the good fight of faith. So when God is your refuge and strength, you don't have to be overcome by fear. When God is your refuge and strength, you can know because of who God is, you won't be wiped out, you won't fall in defeat. And so we get to the last picture, the last section, the last verse of this song. 
in verse 8. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes war cease in the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And then all of a sudden, for the first time in the psalm, we hear God's voice. And here's what he says. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And the picture here is a picture of peace. But it's an interesting picture of peace because what we see in the text is a shattered, uh, a broken bow, a shattered spear, and we see shields that are burning. In, in our day, it's tanks that are burnt out and toppled over. It, it is a dump truck full of rifles that are being thrown out. It's a picture of peace. Peace that God brings in the midst of the battle, the raging storm. Now, this whole command to be still paints another picture. And here's here's the picture. It's of person's hands being dropped down. It's what it literally means. To be still means to let your hands drop. Now, when I think of hands dropping, I think, well, why would our hands be up in a storm? Well, sometimes our hands are up in a storm because we're mad at God. God, what are you doing? And we're usually not smiling when we do that. We're mad at Him. We're angry with God. Sometimes our hands are up because, man, we're getting pummeled and we're just trying to protect ourselves. Sometimes our hands are up because we're trying to fight our way through. Guys, we're especially good at this. We can beat this thing. We can win. And we got our hands up and we're doing everything we can to get ourselves out of this mess. And so our hands are flailing. I don't know about you, but when I can't see, my hands are up. Lori's in my first date. It was this turnabout thing. It was going to happen on the weekend, but she and her friend invited me and a friend and said, hey, let's, let's start this celebration early. Let's go to the U- University of Minnesota Library. We'll study there. So we did that on Wednesday night. On the way home, they said, hey, we got a surprise. We got dessert. So we pulled over to the little park there at Lake Josephine, and Cheryl was getting the dessert ready. And Lori's job was to take Scott and I on this wild goose chase blindfolded. So they blindfolded us. Couldn't see a thing. It's at night. And Lori would say things like, duck, because there's a branch. And then she'd kind of tee-hee-hee, and Cheryl's laughing. And, you know, we knew they were having us. And I didn't trust her for anything. <laughs> My hands were just like this, because I didn't want to go walking into a tree trunk. And, you know, in the storms of life, the, our vision gets so cloudy. We, we don't know where we are. It is just so easy to, to do this. You know, and, and God says, hey, because I'm your refuge and strength. You can put your hands down. Trust me. Be still. Be still. Stop fighting. And get your eyes on me. Know who I am. And what I can bring in your storm. I make wars cease. 
I breathe a word and the earth melts. Trust me that I can bring peace in the midst of this raging conflict, peace in your heart and peace even in these circumstances. I can do that. Be still. In his book, The Weathering Grace of God, Ken Geyer writes that most injuries in an earthquake happen when people are trying to run from the earthquake. What happens is they fall, they get hurt, debris falls upon them, glass that's all around and sometimes flying in the air hits them. And so the first rule of earthquake safety is stay put. Most of us, when the storm comes, say, that's the last thing I'm thinking. I'm thinking of running too. I want to get as far away from this thing. Or I, I want to figure out how to get out of this thing. We're, we're men of action or women of action. And God says, be still. Be still. Trust me. So I don't know what picture you need, but the truth is we need all three. We need to remember the picture of the tower, who, this picture which tells us who God is. He is our refuge. He is our fortress who protects us, who's always at our side, whose strength never runs out. And because of that, we don't need to be gripped, gripped by fear. So don't give in to fear in the midst of your storm. Remember the tower. Remember the river. What God brings in the storm. He brings a supply of grace that'll keep you on your feet. And so remember, believe God won't let you fall. Believe he won't let you fall. And you remember that picture of peace those weapons destroyed, that picture of hands falling, you remember to be still and trust him. For some of you, this psalm is an impossibility for you to apply to your life because you don't know this God. You don't have a relationship with him. It starts there. And maybe one of the great graces of your difficult situation right now is it's brought you to the place where you actually, for the first time in your life, go, I think I need God. I've never needed him before in my life. I need him. And you just call out to him, and you say, God, help me. And you put your trust in his son who died for you. That's the first step. And if you haven't done that, I'd love to talk to you after the service today. I'd love to pray with you to help you know how you can know this God as your God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my friends who are in the storm. I pray for my friends who are coming alongside those who right now are right in it. And the feelings are ruling the day. And the conclusion of those feelings don't have you in view. Lord, use this psalm to anchor our lives in truth and in the truth of who you are. We bless you that you are our high tower, our ever-present help. And we would pray that you would give us the grace to be still. To be still, Lord, when everything around us is is breaking apart. Be still when we feel like that surrounded city about to be toppled.
Be still, Lord, when we find ourselves feeling like we're in a battle with all kinds of things flying around us. By your grace, help us to trust you. In your son's name we pray, amen.